You're listening to the On the Go with VAO News podcast for the week ending April 15th, 2016. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. This is our weekly recap of the top headlines from the week's daily acquisition news. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Bill Olfer, VAO content developer and senior news writer. And I'm Dara Curran, content developer and fellow news writer. On April 8th, the White House officially released the legislative proposal for its $3 billion IT modernization fund. Now, the fund is intended to help agencies jumpstart IT modernization projects and would be run by GSA in concert with a new IT modernization board. The board would identify the highest priority projects across government, as well as opportunities to replace multiple legacy systems with a fewer number of common platforms. Funds for modernization projects would be transferred to agencies on an incremental basis and tied to metric-based development milestones, which would ensure that agencies used agile development techniques and that the fund supports only successful projects. The legislative language would authorize GSA to set a schedule for agencies to reimburse the fund and give GSA some teeth to enforce the repayment schedule. On April 11th, Representative Steny Hoyer from Maryland introduced the Information Technology Modernization Act, which would implement the fund. The proposal does have some bipartisan support and also some key detractors, so it will be interesting to see how this develops. Mm -hmm. VAO will be covering the law's progress in the Daily News and in our weekly highlights from the Hill publication. The Government Accountability Office has released its annual review of federal programs that are fragmented, overlapping, or duplicative, in which it found that Congress and agencies have made progress on its recommendations for reducing wasteful or inefficient spending. Of note, agencies and the White House have fully or partially addressed 81% of GAO's previous recommendations, while Congress has taken action on only 44% of their recommendations. <laughs> and agencies also had more than five times as many action items as Congress. So kudos, wah, agencies. Wah. <laughs> Overall, GAO estimates its recommendations have resulted in about $56 billion in financial benefits over the last five years with another $69 billion expected through 2025. Fully implementing all the recommendations, including new actions identified in the current report, could yield tens of billions of dollars more in savings and cost avoidance, GAO says. In this report, GAO identified 92 new actions that could increase government efficiency and effectiveness, including 59 opportunities to reduce costs or enhance revenue collections, and 33 actions to address areas in which GAO found evidence of fragmentation, overlap, or duplication. Some of the opportunities for cost savings and avoidance include things like bridge contracts. When agencies use bridge contracts frequently or for extended periods, they risk paying more than they should for goods and services. The federal supply schedules. According to GAO, agencies are not paying enough attention to prices when they use the schedules program and may be missing opportunities for additional cost savings. And finally, mobile telecommunications. To reduce costs, agencies should establish better controls on mobile device spending, and the Office of Management and Budget should monitor their progress in achieving these savings. This week, GAO also issued a proposed rule that would amend its bid protest regulations to establish an electronic filing and document dissemination system for bid protest filings. 
This action is required by language in the Consolidated Appropriations Act for 2014. The new Electronic Protest Docketing System, or EPDS, will be the sole means for filing a bid protest at GAO, with the exception of protests containing classified information. The law also authorized GAO to require entities that file a protest to pay a fee, which is currently estimated at $350, to support the establishment and operation of the new filing system. GAO is not required by law to seek comments before issuing a final rule. However, it has decided to invite written comments and will consider all comments received by May 16, 2016. GSA has launched a new website, citizenscience.gov, designed to help agencies engage with the public to enhance scientific research and address real-world problems. The site allows agencies to advertise, find, and learn how to run citizen science and crowdsourcing projects. The new website offers three main features, a catalog of federal crowdsourcing and citizen science projects to help agencies collaborate and make it easier for citizens and outside organizations to identify and explore projects, a federal crowdsourcing and citizen science toolkit to help federal employees set up and manage projects. It includes how to process steps, case studies, a resource library, and legal and policy resources. And a federal community of practice for crowdsourcing and citizen science, which encompasses about 300 federal practitioners who are available to share their skills, resources, and experiences to improve public participation across the government. GSA also caught a break this week on the protest filed against its Enterprise Infrastructure Solutions Telecommunications contract. One prospective bidder, CompuLine International, had taken issue with the solicitation requirement to submit bids via the System for Award Management, contending it has been unable to access SAM and asking to be able to deliver its proposal via email or on a flash drive. GEO dismissed that pre-award protest without ruling on its merits because the protester missed a deadline for filing comments on the case. In an April 7 policy flash, the Department of Energy provided guidance from the Small Business Administration on verifying the eligibility of women-owned small businesses. Currently, SBA is migrating from the original WOSB repository to an improved system, so contracting officers will not have access to the repository until that work is completed. Instead, SBA will provide the required review on their behalf. To request a review, contracting officers should submit an email to WOSB at sba.gov with the subject line pending award under FAR 19.1505E verification request and including the solicitation number. The email should include the apparent successful offeror's firm name, owner name, DUNS number, and employee identification number. Whether the pending award is a WOSB or economically disadvantaged WOSB set-aside or sole source award, the assigned North American Industry Classification System code, and the state where the contracting officer is located. SBA will perform the repository check within two business days. And finally, on April 1st, Defense Procurement and Acquisition Policy Director Claire Grady issued new guidance to defense components on using incentive and other type contracts. This guidance addresses the considerations contracting and acquisition professionals should take into account when selecting and negotiating the most appropriate contract type for a given requirement. Grady says that incentive type contracts aren't always the appropriate vehicle, but there is strong evidence they can lead to better results if they are structured to motivate contractor performance. The guidance offers advice on structuring an effective incentive arrangement with an emphasis on assessing and quantifying risk and negotiating reasonably challenging but achievable target costs. 
The guidance discusses multiple contract types and addresses methods for determining ceiling prices, profit amounts, and the amount of savings that will be shared with the contractor, which should reflect those achievable target costs. Grady notes that a contractor's profit should not be targeted as a cost-cutting measure, but should reflect actual performance, with higher profits linked to improved performance and lower levels of profit linked to poor performance. To complement the guidance, the Defense Acquisition University is developing two continuing learning courses on incentive contracting, which are expected to be released in 2016. So I recently attended a virtual lecture with OFPP Administrator Ann Rung, and I thought we could recap that a bit for our discussion today. That's that's good. It's always good to hear from OFPP, and Ann Rung is always an interesting speaker. Yes. Uh, they have a lot going on right now, mm-hmm. obviously. So what, what was the topic? Well, it was more of an interview format, really. So it went over a few different areas, including how OFPP came to be in the first place, which I had not known before. But I thought we would concentrate on her points about Category management. Yeah, that was my first guess. <laughs> it's and it, you know, it's it is funny. There's a point at which a new topic, you know, gets so much buzz, mm-hmm. you know, you can't turn around without hearing someone talking about it, and yes. it's it's just you're overloaded, right? Mm-hmm. It's like okay, do we have to really have to hear about category management again? <laughs> but then it's you're, at the same time you're still a little unclear about how it's really going to affect day-to-day operations. Right. Uh, you know, we we went through this with cloud computing a few years ago. I remember when I first heard about cloud computing. You know, like a lot of folks, I didn't get the concept right away. Um, and I think even even once you did, it's like, you know, there's still this challenge like, well, okay, I get the cloud thing, but how am I going to get the information I need at my desk when I need it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and now, of course, now it's more, much more common. We get the concept, but, we're, you know, of course, now there's a new idea. We're going through this with category management. You know, we're centralizing, we're sharing information. Um, but how is this going to affect my job? How is my day-to-day work changing? I right, think, exactly. Are, are it, the questions that we're going to get. It's at that weird place. There's a framework in place, and everybody is aware there's this huge push to centralize the spend management, but it's not fully developed yet. And and Rung did not tread any super new ground in the interview, but she did delve a little deeper into a couple of points, and I thought it was worth a revisit anyway, because this is new. And maybe for some organizations, they're also let's say they're conscious of some of the less convenient aspects of, well, okay, we better shorten it up to Catman for now, or we'll be here all night if I have to keep saying that out the whole the whole way. Um, so like, for example, they're not so keen maybe on the loss of autonomy in certain purchase areas, like buying those pre-selected computer models. And, and there's also quite a bit of reporting uh, involved with this. So I'm Catman. <laughs> so this, <laughs> it does. You know, this makes a lot of sense, but it is a big lift, you know, yes. for agencies. Uh, you, just the initial baselining is where you know, oh my, my I, it's hard to get your head around, right? Huge. Getting a handle on all the agency spending and all the super categories, all the subcategories. That's going to be a lot of work for agencies. Um, and obviously GSA, OMB, OFPP, and you know, not to mention the poor souls that are going to have to aggregate and analyze this data. That is, that's well, no, I mean, I mean, I'm sure they're very good at what they do, and they're looking forward to the challenge. But man, that is going to be a lot of a lot work. of a lot of data coming in, and that is one thing that Rung noted, and I think it really can't be stressed enough. This is the very kickoff of what is going to be an extremely long-term effort. I, the UK was the groundbreaker on. Catman, <laughs> the uh, the leader for that effort, David Shields, he's on our staff now at ASI. He's heading up all of our efforts under this initiative. And so we know from the UK model and from his specific experience, this takes time. There is no single view right now into all of government-wide spending. It's going to take a lot of time to aggregate that. But you're laying groundwork now that will really start reaping full rewards five or 10 years in the future. But 
That also doesn't mean there aren't quick wins to be had. Uh, Rung is looking at what can be accomplished actually just in the remainder of the calendar year, and she's aiming to show $5.8 billion in savings by the end of 2016 from the streamlining they're doing just with PCs and mobile devices. Wow, that that's a lot. And you like to say a billion here, a billion there. Now you're talking real money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It, it It is real money, and it's coming as a direct result of the reporting that everybody's doing, that real money. So bringing the data on computer spending under one roof showed that there were price discrepancies as high as 300% in what agencies were being charged, Rung said. That, right, right. I mean, uh, who, who, who doesn't want to spend 1000 bucks for a laptop instead of 3000 Oh, my gosh, yeah, absolutely. You know, that's it's, crazy. It, and another thing I think it's good to be reminded of – Part of the big point of this is essentially allowing procurement professionals to outsource some of their routine or maybe even call them boring purchases. The acquisition workforce is super beleaguered. We know this, but this will start to result soon in help for them. So while it's maybe more work at the beginning, while you're finding your way around the vehicles that are set up and the new rules and the new reporting mechanisms, relief is on the horizon. You're going to be able to give away all the sort of stock the larder with flour and eggs kind of procurement. Um, Somebody else is going to do the comparison shopping and the deal making on all of that stuff for you. Rung noted she had specifically chosen business experts for each of the categories, not necessarily acquisition experts, right? The people know the category inside and out. They're specialists in whatever that area is. And she's giving them autonomy to run their category like a business. So you're outsourcing that bread and butter kind of stuff to people who they really know the material here. And when this is up and running, procurement departments for each federal agency are going to be free to focus back on their mission-specific procurements, the specialized stuff that they should be spending their more detailed and involved time on in the first place. That'll be a lot better than everybody having to spend time on buying copier paper or text messaging plans multiplied times dozens of federal agencies, each of whom is being treated differently by their vendors. Yeah, it's it's like training a new hire, right? You've, you've got the double down at the beginning. Mm-hmm you know, to get the ropes down. But once you start delegating tasks, that's very nice. And, you know, and if I could take a moment, I'll tie this back to Fatera, the Federal <laughs> IT Acquisition Reform Act. Uh, you know, CIOs are going to have a lot of spending on their on their plate too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, get that commodity stuff, you know, delegate that down, get it off your plate so that they can work on your, on your mission IT. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, there's benefit also for vendors. If you think of all the manpower that they have going into all the RFPs they're responding to and managing all those deadlines and the contracts and the paperwork that's associated, even though it might be for the same, you know, whatever, the widget at VA and HHS and whomever. So this should make things much easier on them as well in terms of labor and paperwork. And that then translates to actual money. Right. Costs going down. Exactly. Yeah. There's one other thing that Rung pointed out. That's what happens to small businesses with this consolidation push. Rung emphasized that in no way is the move to Catman going to hamper the government's track record on meeting small business goals, which, you know, we know they've been knocking it out of the park consistently for the last few years on that. First off, she explained that one of the initial steps they take when they launch each category is to examine where the small business performance is at already. So that then becomes the minimum goal for performance when it's moved under Catman. This is another area where having the buying in that category under an expert in the field, tightly overseen by people who are focused on nothing but that type of you know widget, is going to help a lot. They're able to design vehicles that have a high small business participation rate baked right into it. For example, 
Rung noted that uh, the three government-wide contracts for the computer purchasing, there's actually a higher concentration of small businesses in, in those contracts than on the open market. So we may see a shift in where the small business contracting numbers are coming from for meeting those annual targets, but the numbers hopefully should continue only to go upward. That's great. That's great that they have an eye on it for that. Um, excellent. Excellent yeah. uh, event, sounds like. So that's it for, uh, for this week. If you're a government agency subscriber to the Virtual Acquisition Office website, you can find links to this week's headlines for further reading on VAO on the same page where you downloaded this podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. Make a note, our podcasts are now released every Monday, so you can catch up on last week's news at the beginning of your work week. We hope you'll join us again for the next daily news podcast on Monday, April 25th, which will recap headlines for the week ending April 22nd. Thanks again. Bye. I'm Catman. <laughs> <laughs>